1935, the Lions win the NFL championship. The Detroit Tigers take the World Series. The Red Wings bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Joe Lewis begins his rise to world domination. This transforms the Motor City into Detroit, City of Champions. Ah, there we are, a crack of the bat. We are off and running Detroit, City of Champions, the podcast. I'm Jamie Flanagan. Charles Avison. We are sitting extraordinarily close to each other today, Charles. How you doing, buddy? Good to see you. Good to see you from this angle. It We're is. in the same frame this time. That's it is. Uh, there's a reason behind that. Uh, we haven't had many guests on uh, the City of Champions. It's pretty well, much just me well, and you. Which ones we've had have been su- high, high, the highest of quality. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's Stanley Cup today. winning uh, Drew Miller, Red Wing. Yes. And, uh, and, and we've had uh, Joe Lewis Barrow Jr. the second. We had uh, we were at the um, uh, the Miss America Ten and ah. and um, uh, and our guests from the Packard plant. Yes, yes. yes. So we've had some uh, heavy hitters coming through, and uh, but it's few and far between. But the the conversation we've been having, we're uh, we were talking about Eddie Tolan, and then you said while you were writing the book, you came across the story of Willis Ward, but he really didn't fall into the thirty five story. His story kind of kind of. It, it fizzled out. And my, this is the thing: is the reason like, he should have. He, I felt like he should have been there. He should have. He should have been there. Like, there's you've got this. You've got the biggest collection of championships in the history of the of this country. You got or the history. You know, let's just go. Let's just go and, with it. And the history of the world. Miss out the biggest roster of championships in the history of the world. Okay, yeah. there's nobody that can put a case that the Detroit that you had that any other city has won more than 33 championships no. in a single season. It's all. So, anyways, he should have been. In so, it. like, this could have been number thirty-four. This could have been nineteen thirty-six Olympics. Uh, how was he not should inserted have. into this? How was he not? How was Willis Ward not part of it? And that's why. And then you've got a picture of Eddie Tolan with Willis Ward with Jesse Owens. I'm right. like, how was? And I, and, you know, and I loved his story. And I was uh, like, and I told myself when I was right. doing the books that, you know, the the first opportunity that we would have to bring the Willis Ward story out, I was gonna, you know, we were gonna do it. And then we had the and room so, to do it here, and, and we, and we the, did it exactly. And then I start writing the show notes. Uh, I was like looking stuff up. I was writing the show notes, and then I came across a, a documentary uh, about because uh, on the team that Willis Ward was on, uh, center with Gerald R. Ford, right? The, the he became a president of the United States, uh, and it was interesting. He said, I'm going to quit, and you know, people listen to last episode. Go back, listen to last episode. We're going to get more into it. But I came across a documentary that focused all on that, and I was like, oh my god, this is fascinating. I want to see this. I couldn't find it anywhere. And I had heard, and I'd actually so, heard of this because one of the articles that we cited in the last in the last show mentioned re- re- mentioned this documentary. Yes, and, and so when you told me, I started ahead. stalking the director. Yes, <laughs> and then you told me that you had him on the show, and I, I was said, "Guess who I just I became like, friends awesome. with?" Yeah, and you're like, "Who?" I said. Brian Kruger, who uh, produced and directed the documentary we're talking about, and it is called Black and Blue, uh, the story to Gerald Ford, Willis Ward, and the 1934 Michigan-Georgia Tech football game. Uh, you need to work uh, the word fiasco into there somewhere. <laughs> right. Brian, thanks for uh, joining us. Well, uh, guys, for thanks this. for having me. This is this is a lot of fun. So we were, and like I said, you, you, you heard the last episode. We really dug into Willis and his story. Uh, just a, a phenomenal scholar. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great student, mm-hmm. uh, an amazing. That's what I loved about him, man. He was a he was a everything. He was an academic. He was a you know he was a he was an incredible athlete. The best the best athlete might've, that they said that been better, ever produced. Might have been better at track than football, and he was like crazy amazing at football. Yeah, only guy to beat Jesse Owens in 1934 and yes. in the spring of 35. We so. mentioned that. Yeah. So uh, and in the story, the story like the City of Champions story. 
and even more so with Willis, uh, left untold and unrecognized. Uh, and kind of uh, the University of Michigan, not a super proud moment for them. Right. And so yeah. that story, I think maybe they just kind of like, oh, we'll kind of leave that there. Well, yeah, over the years, we've shown this film all over the country, mm-hmm. and it's been on PBS. And uh, get a lot of folks that say, hey, uh, you know, how how dare they? And they come down hard on Michigan and come down hard on Yoast. And mm-hmm. we can talk about that a little bit later because I have some conflicting views on that. There we go, man, because yeah. yeah. we do, too. That's yeah. what, I've got a whole series of notes here to talk <laughs> no, about it, about Yoast. But, but, <laughs> me and Jamie were talking about it about 20 minutes last night. Uh, going More like 40. But, yeah, I, like 40 I yeah. back, but I look back at a university that uh, has been a beacon, yeah. a beacon of civil rights, progressiveness, and everything for all these years. But, man, did they drop the ball, no pun intended, in 1934. Yeah. And until we made this film, we can talk about about the details of this, trying to get this film made, they were acting like it didn't happen. So you got a heck of a resume. I mean, you t- you've taught high school, you taught college, uh, you produced films, uh, and 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 uh, how did you find this story? What brought you? Great question. To, I want to know about that. Yeah, too. what brought right. you to this story before we unravel so, it? So the writer of this film, and and he really needs to be celebrated on this, is a guy named Buddy Morehouse, and he's credited on a few of your works. Yes, Buddy and I have made a few of these films together, and Buddy was. Um, a sports editor for the Michigan Daily mm. back in the late 70s and early 80s. And we've been friends for a long time. We did stand-up comedy together. We've been friends for since high school. And uh, when President Ford passed away, and we cover this in the film, it starts out that way, President uh, Bush um, did the eulogy. And he eulogized Ford and told this story. And Buddy called me, I called him said you ever heard of this i mean and buddy said no i was a sports editor for the michigan daily (laughs) it it, it was a buried story for nearly 80 years by the university of michigan because it wasn't pleasant and first thing you do when you're doing a documentary what we do anyways we look around to see if anything's been done on it because if somebody did a film or something of course we'd we'd lay off but we were just shocked that uh with the exception of behe's book um and uh, uh, maybe two other things you got to look for the story for you know any kind of justification and certainly the university of michigan and it's not they were trying to tr- uh keep it down they were the year the film came out but they, 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 they just they just kind of forgot about it like sure. you would right well, yeah. yeah but i think that well maybe there's some reasons for that besides just the just the embarrassment of it i think that there i i mean we can get into it i guess but um you know it just seems like there was like it, it, it did like this is and this is let's just dive into it. Sure, I don't go. mean to interrupt you unless there's other something. Fire up, fire it up. Go, um, go. Do you want me to recap it really quickly for the audience? Or do you guys sure. Let's go ahead. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in 1934, um, uh, Fielding H. Yost, who was the yeah, athletic director at the yeah. time, not the coach, and he was legendary coach and a he, lot he of, went like 57 games in a row oh, yeah. without winning, yeah. it, it, yeah, it, without it, losing. Legendary, right. yep. legend. Oh, yeah, without, yeah, without losing. That's right. And. Uh, so it's, it's in the middle of the Depression. Michi- uh, University of Michigan's coming off two undefeated seasons. Willis Ward was a part of both of those teams. Gerald Ford wasn't. Neither one of them played their freshman year because freshmen weren't allowed to play varsity sports mm-hmm. then. So mm-hmm. they weren't eligible. But as soon as their sophomore year came along, you know, they were both on the team, as you guys pointed out earlier, because of Bill Borgman. 
Uh, Gerald Ford didn't see the field. Willis Ward did because yeah. he was fast and good and he could do everything. Anyway, so 1934 rolls around and Fielding Yost decides, you know, he's, he's got this new stadium and he needs to fill it. We're in the middle of the Depression. There's a lot of people that had come up from the South to work in the factories. Mm. And he had this idea that if I got a Southern team up here, I could fill this stadium up because there's a lot of people working the Rouge plant and, uh, and just a lot of people from the South that came up. So he goes down and he's got a connection. We talk about it in the film. Uh, he's got a connection with Georgia Tech through a uh, brother-in-law. And he goes down to talk to um, Alexander, the AD, and says, look, why don't you guys come up and play us? And they went, oh, that would be amazing. You guys are national champions. That would do amazing things for our program. Right, yeah. We'll absolutely come up. And you got that new stadium? Oh, absolutely. But we know you've got an African-American player, and we don't play against – we do not take the field against African-American players, so you need to be clear about that. To which Yo says, yep, I'm aware of that rule. And we'll make sure that our African-American player doesn't play. Who knew that would be a big deal? It was a big deal. But where was that? But in the documentary, I was watching the documentary and I didn't and I didn't. But there in in what I saw in the documentary was said, Yost never said anything about it publicly. Right. So what happens is he goes down and there. You had the Western so Union telegrams, it, and there was, and I didn't see the Western Union telegram or anything that oh, said, are, he said it publicly. Are, so these are these are this is where it started really starting to hit the fan. Right. So that's in the spring. In the spring, he says, "Yeah, you know, let, let's let's pencil this thing in. You know, they worked they worked out the money. I think it was five thousand dollars. You know, come up and play." Georgia Tech said, "Just a reminder. One more reminder. We don't play against black players. Uh, and you yeah. guys, black player, Yost, don't worry about that. We got it." And Yost goes down there a couple of times for social occasions, talks to the team to rev them up, gives them tips because it's feeling Yost. I mean, yeah, it's you know, point them. He walks. Yost. He yeah. walks in the room. You win. Oh yeah, pretty yeah. much. So they're excited to have him, and then he comes back up. And there's a couple of times, and the the Bentley Library has these uh, telegrams, which were donated by the Yost family, which is mm. cool. That really s- spell out. Hey, look. You know, what about, you haven't made any public statement about Ward. And he said, I'll take care of this. And it stayed quiet until the summer. And in the summer of 34, word started to get out. And it started to leak amongst the, the team that they were coming up. Willis Ward was on the team. And the, and the national press started asking questions like, hey, you got Georgia Tech coming up. This is cool. But, you know, we know that teams from the South, when they come up, they do not play against black players. In fact, what they did is they would sit around, they have a little meeting and go, okay, we're going to take our African-American player off. But on your team, for an equivalent, we may take we want to take this guy off and maybe this guy. And in Ward's case, uh, they came up with a trade of another one. end. But yeah. that, that didn't happen until the night before the game. Jeez. So uh, Ward, or Yost starts getting asked about it, and because he's fielding Yost, he says, "I want to talk about it. I get don't don't worry about it. We'll we'll figure it out. We'll we'll handle." He this. was say he was vague. He was vague. Yeah, he, there was was he, de- that's where, was that, he deliberately but, vague? But Absolutely. Is, but this Absolutely. is what I'm trying to say. This yeah. is this is right. This is the divert. This is these are very tiny notes. You're mm. in trouble. This is what I do is I <laughs> yeah. so, like micro dot. So. Well, I usually I like to, I don't like to take I a know, ton of paper. I know, I know, I, I know. Like to, I just like a little <laughs> yeah. mini sheet. So I would I like never be able things. to read. That. I can write as big as I want. I can also write as small as I can write on That's rice very, if I need to. It's a gift. Like I could sit here with a pile of rice in front of me, and be like, hold on a second, I'll move rice things over <laughs> and <laughs> my notes on, on my rice on. tablets. <laughs> so, anyways, so you said right there though is that, and this is where the this is this I want to I, I guess I want to sort of challenge the the this the notion because, like I say in the documentary and also you know the, the you were saying that. Um, so 
when you say that he talked about it in the spring with them about not feeling a black player. Yeah, with like Georgia the, Tech. When you say with them, with with, with, with Georgia, Tech, with, with Georgia Tech, with Alexander and Georgia yeah. Tech. But Alexander Harry, was Harry the coach. Kip, Harry Kipke knows about this now too, by the way. So you really paint in in the documentary. You really paint Yost as less than open minded racially. Let's say. Yeah, and, but he has. Uh, a, but but again, so you, you, he's, he's painted as a racist. Yeah, in, and, in the documentary, but it, that was pretty clear. It, whenever African American players would come to the University of Michigan, it was understood that they weren't going to play football. But Yost would welcome them to the to the athletic program, but they would run track. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what you're going to do. You're not going to play basketball. You're not going to play baseball. You're not going to play football, but you can run track. But why would track be more be acceptable and not football? I have no idea. But that's what I'm saying, though. That's another thing, too, is is that a point to like his favor of potentially not being a racist. And this is, again, I'm not trying to be a Yost apologist. Mm-hmm. I just think that there's some, like, they're just the overall story of what we know about the story. I feel like there are sort of uh gaps or of that that I don't understand. Well, I and think the thing is is, is and the thing is is that I think the first p- potential component that that may lead to the mis- to the to my n- not understanding is is just the is just the automatic assumption that Yost was a racist. Yeah, well, you, you got to look at the the man and, and I'm not excusing this at all, but uh sometimes we all kind of make this uh error on this. It, it wasn't right by any means, but you look at the man during the times. We mm. covered this in the film. His dad was a soldier uh, for the Confederacy. He comes from West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia was a free state during the Civil War, and, the Confe- and, and just because he's a son of a Confederate soldier doesn't necessarily automatically make him a racist. Right, but it tells you where his mindset is coming from, and it's not right. Again, I want to keep saying that. That's not yeah. right. But all of the schools above the Mason-Dixon line graced this rule and yes. they knew of the rule it was like oh, yes. it's, it's Jim Crow it's like okay but so, and there weren't very many black players playing at any team that's right there were a few and as uh, John Bacon points out he thinks that Minnesota had one and there's there, there's a couple in- instances if you dig deep where the schools came up the northern school happily benched their but it was almost an anomaly it was at yes, this point I mean there, there was a yep. know, so it wasn't like you had a whole squad somewhere right. well and, yeah and, and African Americans weren't playing in the NFL the, the, the or NFL major league baseball or, or, or anywhere else so, sure. so you right. understand it's part of that societal thing. it's not it's not the shock it would be today I mean today of course it would be a what yes <laughs> but yes back, but back then it was not so that's so like I said so um He's got a good theory. So this is the thing. Fire it up. I just want to play devil's advocate for a second. Play right? And Because, again, if you saw the last episode, you, you the listener at home, Brian, listen, if you yep, saw the last yep. in this. So the, it, it, there's the, the big thing to me is is that what doesn't make sense, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, there's an old saying, it's called a qui bono. Who gains? Mm-hmm. Right? That's the old phrase. Who gains? When you're trying to understand something, you, you, know, you track back to it, you know, to the point and say, who gains from this? Who doesn't gain? Then you're going to find out, you know, closer to like, you know, you're going to be able to fill in gaps as far as understanding and, and potentially what happened. Mm-hmm. And so this is the so the thing I don't understand. Okay, like like I say, so so um, if if Yost is a racist, okay, if Yost is a racist and he doesn't want Willis Ward to play, okay, this, this and this is maybe what I don't understand is. He did a pretty bad job of it up to this point. He did a horrible job because <laughs> because he just won two straight national championships with Willis with Ward a on the, the with a black guy on the team. Yeah, right. yeah. And he'd already had Eddie way to Tolan. go, racist guy. He had you know. <laughs> Eddie Tolan, Eddie Tolan, who had played, who had come to. He was a he was a star in Michigan with I don't know I forgot how many touchdowns did he have at six, six in one game. Yeah. He's like all Ed Bundy up yeah, in that business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so he had you know so Eddie Tolan came to U of M, wanted to play football. And then he didn't get a chance, and people assumed that it was because of a racist system. He played track, of course, Eddie mm-hmm. Tolan did. 
And then Eddie Tolan just said no. It was because of a knee injury he had, which is why he wore this wrap on his knee the rest of his entire life mm-hmm. yeah, for good, track and field. Good, good research on that one. That, that yeah, well so done. that's why he said that. So so he denied that there was a, a racist system in place for him that, that prevented him from, from playing football. So another thing I wanted to throw into this to you know to the to this idea is if if black players weren't playing in the anywhere near the wholesale numbers they were you know in any sport baseball football whatever it's logical to assume that it was similar to that in the high school levels as well I mean that that, that there was a lack of black players that it's nowhere near I never thought say. of that I never thought of and that so, but, but, but as you pointed out in the last episode you did really nice research on that too by the way and well, thank you, know, you well thank done. you thank you um, but Willis Ward at uh, Detroit Northwestern was the guy well I understand <laughs> and so and he ended up coming he was to the U guy in the state so yeah. what I'm saying yeah. is though, but what I'm yeah. but what I'm saying then is that there was a smaller pool of of, of black athletes at these high schools from yeah. which to choose for to put on a team of the stature of of University of Michigan who's winning national championships every single year that's right so when you have a willis ward who is the top athlete in the country right you know in the in in his in in, in, uh you know track and field football and that and then and there's a new coach coming in and you said in the documentary harry kipke was brand new at this point not not brand new maybe a second year well uh third and and he was uh he was a a a sports hero but not in 34 what i mean is is at the as a player but i'm talking about when willis ward got recruited from from northwestern Mm -hmm. it was harry kipke's first year right or second year i think it was a second year maybe the first year first or second year so he's a brand new coach he hadn't won anything is my point he hadn't done anything but he was all in when sure, he, sure, and I, he knew he knew about Ward. I get that, you know? but what I'm saying though is, is that when he approached Fielding Yost about bringing Willis Ward onto the team, why didn't Yost at that point just say no? Well, if he was a racist, let me just, let me finish the thought. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't he just say no and nip the idea in the bud before he had to deal with anything like this, right? And then if Harry Kip goes, I'm going to fight you with fists if you don't let me play that black player, he's going to go, you know what, Kipke, I loved you as a player. But you gone because mm-hmm. he'd already fired Yost had already fired two coaches like it was nothing. What's the th- what's the difference of a third? Because the guy's going against his racist sensibilities and not letting him play in in, in, in going against what Yost, who is if he's a racist and he doesn't want anything to do with a black player, and eventually just a few years later he's gonna th- you know he's gonna create this whole situation. Why uh, why why didn't he just nip it in the bud right there and not even let it happen at there, all? There's a couple things going on that that you need to know. Uh, Kipke really really was close. I mean, I mean, Yost was really, really close with Kipke, and really, really close after Kipke delivers two undefeated yeah. national championships, yeah, which yeah. which hadn't been done since Yost was running up the score back in the in the teens. So those guys were tight, and then this happened, and it was just uh, Bacon. Yeah, talks but I'm about talking it. about it was, before that. I'm no, talking about his recruitment to right, the but, University of Michigan, right. but, but but Kipke hadn't won anything at that point. Kipke oh, right, was a right. new coach. They were just friends, right? Because he played for Yost, and Yost loved him. Kipke even coached basketball. For I a understand spell. that, but what I'm saying though is, if Yost, why <laughs> would Yost three years later, mm-hmm. after Willis Ward won two national championships for this team, Willis Ward's a you know a, a hero amongst the University of Michigan group. Like, why wouldn't if he was such a race and dead set against letting a black player play, mm-hmm. why didn't he nip it in the bud before he even right. got recruited? When Kipke came to him and said, I want to bring a black player on the team, he had to approve it with Yost. Mm-hmm. Yost had, would have had to have green lit the idea. So, what was your other, your, the other side of the coin? You thought it might actually be. Well, what I'm thinking is, is what I'm, this is a, this is the, the, what I'm trying to get is what if, this is, and this is just a, we don't, we don't know. We'll never know. We'll never know. But this is, this is a, this is a thought exercise, right? This is a, just a contrary point of view because again, there's the the gap. This is what I don't understand. So what I'm trying to say is 
What if Yost was trying to do the opposite? What if he was trying to set up on a silver platter a situation for a new for a for an, for a, a breaking of the color barrier? For breaking the color barrier, using Willis Ward in football to break the color barrier. To show how egregious it was. To show how egregious that's it was. In, that's interesting. But you saw in the movie, and this is what Bacon's theory was, and, it, and I like the thought process on this, but Bacon's theory is that Yost did this to get Kipke back for bringing him on. Cause when, <laughs> when, when Kipke got him on the team... They circumvented Yost. And Yost was an administrator. He was uh-huh. on the board of directors. Yeah, but he, but Yost is the power guy in this entire situation. He's it's, the athletic director. But as you pointed out too, it's it's Matai and it's uh, um, who was the well. Other? Those are but those are alumnus. But they don't but they don't have direct control over right. the situation. No, but you you don't understand what happened. Those guys went around and went into the city of Detroit and were contacted by the judge and said, hey, you got to give this guy a role. Those guys went all in and went, yeah, let's bring him in. Didn't bring Yost into that conversation. According to Bacon, they came to blows on that one, and Kipke won it. And that's where the, that's where the big one might go. Like, how did, how did he win that? But he did. He said, I'm bringing him in. And Yost said, all right, well, you know, whatever. And, and what Bacon says is Bacon thinks that Yost went, all right, and then, and then went through this couple of years, national championships. Maybe he saw that the roster was going to change the season. And according to Bacon, Bacon thinks that he brought up Georgia Tech just to nail uh, Kipke and Ward on this, which well, I think but is if really, or, but if this is the really case, indicative. I'm sorry, Jamie, really, go ahead. No, go ahead. Or the reason they brought in Georgia Tech, I think I said this, was because uh, they, they knew the roster was changing. They knew it was going to be a, a troublesome year, mm-hmm. and they needed at least one win in there, and they knew they were going to win against Georgia. Or maybe they were. Or they had a good to, like, feeling. Or maybe they needed attention for at this exact moment because he knew the roster was ugly, and they wanted to create a situation on which U of M was this was the center point of the entire That's sport universe. That's an interesting thought. Because they, because yeah. because the silver I call it the silver platter setup. If Yost, <laughs> you got if an this, and I've got a list for that. I've got a list of all the points here. Right. If Yost was if Go Yost go. was a was 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 set and again it could go two ways. Yost set this up because he was trying to end. Black players in football forever, right? It could okay. go that direction, right? And in that case, has been made. The other, the, the the contrary view is that Yost, in this in this weird way, maybe he had ascended to the top level of his profession. He'd done everything. He'd he'd been he'd won so many national championships. Yeah. Doesn't you're just counting at that point. He didn't even have enough fingers for the rings anymore. Four in one year, <laughs> right? Yeah, and so um, so he's he's done everything in his career, right? Yeah. Maybe initially he didn't want. He had been. Uh, resistant against black players, and maybe at this moment he like he's like, well, what's left in my career to do? What if what if you know what if he, in his mind he's going to open the door for other players of color to fall in the in in football? And so this and the reason that's I know that's that's pure speculation. I'm just ah, cool. I'm, I'm speculating I, on yeah. his motive. In the 13 years of showing this around the country and all over the place, I haven't heard that one. And that's that. <laughs> no, it's cool. It, it's, yeah. maybe you know it, it's the first Yost apology uh, apologetics we've run into. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it is. Yeah. So, and so, anyways, and so I call this the silver platter theory because if he so we've already the case has been made mm-hmm. for why he set this up is you know in you know you know for the negative. But what I'm talking about is if he was going to do that, if he was going to, his goal was to shut the door on black athletes in college football forever, he picked a really awful opportunity, you know, moment <laughs> to do it. Because I call this, like I say, the silver platter setup. So, um, so this, so this is the thing. So, uh, so, okay. So he, so he, again, in, in the movie, we, it even said, we say, Yost never said anything about it publicly. So he's never come out and said anything. So he's vague at this moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so Kipke, as we've as been has been said in the movie and as we've said in all this, 
was, said that he would defend with his fists his right to play Willis Ward. Right. He had said that in the bars. He'd said that in several situations that he would defend Willis Ward's ability to play with his fists, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, so Willis, so Feeling Yo says, a black, so we're going to not let Willis Ward play for this game. All right, he's won two. We've we've won two national championships with this guy, um, and so here, so we've got feel. So this is the silver. This is why the silver, silver player said. So, so he's going to tell Kipke that Willis Ward's not going to play for this game after after Kipke has demonstrated that he will fight with his fist. So that so number one, he's got a he's got a, a coach that's theoretically going to fight with his fist to allow Willis Ward to play. Mm-hmm. Number two. Um, he made he like he believes like the, or, or, or the uh, that the uh, that the team itself with Gerald Ford and the rest of these teams they're beloved they they're best friends with Willis Ward they just won two national championships together mm-hmm. this is a guy that's part of their crew so he's got the coach against him he's got the team against him he's got the um, Willis Ward who is intelligent demonstrated himself as uh, as somebody who would. Um, would go to you know to go to a situation where there's very few black people or anything like this, you know potentially the perfect uh, person to be like a civil rights champion or civil rights to like leader or a, a symbol of some mm-hmm. case in a case right like he's not a nobody this is a guy who is almost like a Joe Lewis figure in this in this world he's a he's a star in this world in the world of college football and so the college media. He couldn't have been blind to the fact that when when this when the word came out that Willis Ward was not going to play, that the college media was going to lose their shit over this, right? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the media. They, yeah, he waited until the night of the game, though. But so, it would have so, been working so up. It, it wouldn't be covered. But the, well, the, but the rumors had been out for weeks and oh, yeah. months, and, the, and yeah. the media had been it had been it was a national story That's talking right. about that he didn't play, and it was a sympathetic northern media and sympathetic co- collegiate media, University of Michigan. The one guy who was I forget his name, but was a, a poet or whatever, a, a writer, mm-hmm. and, and end up was like going to U of M at the time, and he and the whole the whole college was freaking out. They were writing articles saying this is ridiculous. This is, so he had a so he has a a sympathetic coach. Who's willing to fight with his fist? A sympathetic uh, Henry Ford and the rest of the team. He's got Willis Ward himself. He's got a sympathetic and media that's behind this entire situation, which he couldn't have been oblivious to at that moment. He could have, like the the college media, he had to have known that the college media was going to be, a, you know, a liberal uh, perspective on this. It was mm-hmm. going to be a progressive perspective on it, this. That was split kind of down the middle of the um the the, the blue bloods on campus, the frat guys and stuff. Were sure. saying, hey, just let them come up and play. They're our guests. Let's play yeah. this game. Uh, the, the the game is bigger than one player. But mm-hmm. there was a sympathetic progressive media enough that he he couldn't have been completely oblivious to the fact that there was a. That there would have that that there that the, at least the possibility of a of a vocal uh, progressive. Um, it was huge. He hired the Pinkerton guards a month before but he, to, to to investigate the student groups on campus and find out what they were going to. We'll, we'll get into the Pinkertons. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So and so the other thing too was the other thing too was the I got ga- this last so night. so the okay. game was at the big house. Yeah. So this what the game wasn't in a hostile Georgia. The game was in front of a sympathetic crowd in a in, in their home stadium, mm-hmm. and so and so and then U of M. U of M at this point is five and zero. Oh, they've won. They've won nineteen straight games. They could have faced any team in the country. They're, they're facing Georgia Tech, who's three and three at that moment, who finished five and five and, and finished eleven out of thirteen teams in the SEC. They were they were a bunch of nobodies. Well, Michigan was zero and three going into that game. No, but I'm saying when he booked the game oh, right, on okay. the previous November eleventh, sure. uh, uh, when he the previous November eighth or eleventh. I look. I have the the picture of the date of when they of the of mm-hmm. the of the. Uh, so what? So what's your conclusion? I, I see so what I'm have... saying is what I'm saying is is that 
the, you know, and as far as the Pinkertons go, you know, he hired the Pinkertons to pre- prevent any fans from coming onto the stadium. In the in the thing, well, also or disrupting also, the game, no, disrupting no, the no, situation. No. Also, to infiltrate the student groups that were meeting uh, prior to the game, a month before the game, so he could figure out what are they going to be up to to stop this game. Well, exactly. But here's the thing: if you were setting up a if you were setting up a situation for a moment. Where the teams and where the and this is what I'm trying to get at. What if he was setting up a situation in which if the players had walked off the field and not played that game, mm-hmm. right? It could have been a defining moment in the in the in, in, through the course of the social justice movement of yeah. the course of the of the civil rights movement. It would have been a landmark moment in history that a national championship University of Michigan team did not play that game against an inferior opponent at home in front of a sympathetic fan, sympathetic crowd, sympathetic media with a sympathetic coach, and everything was laid out. Mm-hmm. It could have been a landmark moment because they said, you know, like that. In essence, of you know, if they would have been forced to forfeit to Georgia Tech, a national championship team who had lost two games, sure, but in, but in, when Yost was potentially coming up with this idea, they were undefeated. What if an undefeated team lost their only game because they had to forfeit a game because the players wouldn't play because they were standing with a with their black teammate? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like this is like what if it, so in he could have possibly setting up an, an amazing, amazing. He was civil setting movement, up yeah. a, a, a potential amazing civil rights moment yeah. where the U of M team stuck with their with Willis Ward. They didn't play. Kipke wouldn't coach, and nobody didn't even take the field in front of a sympathetic crowd. It's an interesting. It, it's it's a really really interesting take. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. It's, it's so that and it's and again and that's what I'm saying. Like that's and I'm not saying it. You know. Like anyways. That yeah, so that's what um that's I'm just if, I'm not trying look, to say well, it happened. But no, but if we look at the years afterwards, and let's just play your your scenario out that he had set this up, so when the season was over, he go he can exhale and go there. I think I I think I got the wheels in motion. How come a black player wasn't allowed or wasn't on the Michigan football team until after World War II? After Yost was gone, wouldn't he have recruited guys the next year? Going, hey, look, I screwed this up. There is one good Yost uh, moment after that. Uh, in the Palmer Hotel the next year, I think it, it is in the in the maybe it was in the spring, and it could have been the track team. Anyway, they came in. Uh, the rumor had it that uh, uh, the Palmer Hotel said, "You guys can stay here because this is what they would do." But he can't. The African American player can't. And uh, and Yost did step up and he said, "Look, we founded the Big Ten here at the Palmer Hotel. I was part of that. I'm not, you know, he, I'm sure he didn't say this. It was paraphrased, but I'm the most powerful figure in college sports now. If he doesn't stay with his team, this this is theoretically what happened in the spring. If he doesn't stay with his team, I'm going. Ne- we're never going to stay here again. I'm going to make sure none of the Big Ten teams ever stay here again. See, that's another. That, I appreciate you adding weight to that. You know, to that well, potential I, I, I don't, scale. I, I like your theory. I'm not adding weight to it. I think what happened though is I I do believe that after this was over. Ward had a real come to Jesus meeting and maybe it was internal. His family, you know, has been very apologetic about everything, but also said that he had a change of heart after that game. Well, that's what I'm yeah, trying to say. The, is the is documentary that was, lays that that's out. That's what I'm trying there. to yeah. say. It was it this, really sucked the morale out of the. It totally the did. Team. I mean, it ruined. I mean, it it wrecked what could potentially have been. One of the great, like Willis Ward versus Jesse Owens in the 1936 Olympics, could have mm-hmm. been like the biggest event of all time in front of yep. Hitler and that. You know what I mean? Like sticking over their fist up to Hitler, they could have been in like. The, 
excuse me, could have been um, another one. And another it could guy be an incredible. Another, uh, mm-hmm. It could, and, and especially as it slots into the City of Champions season, I think Willis Ward would have won. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that Willis oh, was, Ward would have been a 34th champion so. in this. I, and that's what I'm saying. We were so robbed. Too. I think it's like I feel like it was. It should have happened. Right. And I feel like it, he I, got like, really excited about it. He still is. Yeah. 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 No, no I, I've never heard that point of view, and and uh, I like listening to new points of view on that. But it's funny. You really in the documentary, uh, the last two minutes, <laughs> you really took the University of Michigan to task, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, like, you know, there's there's a, a library and a and a, a, a cultural center or the the policy center named after Ford and a Yost Arena and the Kipke Drive, yeah. and there is nothing, nothing, nothing commemorating Willis Ward and his, uh, uh, you know, the only person. Right. And I, I forget how you, the only person to suffer the. Humiliation, uh, humiliation of, yeah, of being benched uh, because of the color of his skin. And uh, there's no nothing there. Uh, and then there's a, a postscript to that. Yeah, uh, a, lot, a lot of things happened after this. So what what yeah. happened after – because you took Michigan to task, and, and you said they weren't really thrilled about this documentary right, coming so out. The first, Is that the part they had issue with? Well, the first the, the first <laughs> time we learned that a little bit – and i got to be careful with this because yeah. Michigan's come a long way since since this time. Sure. But that was the year. I'm not sure if you guys remember this, but Michigan did this really cool thing. Um, they don't retire numbers. Or they do. There was six, seven of them. I'd, and if Buddy was here, he'd tell me between the Wistert brothers and Tom Harmon. And mm-hmm. he'd, he'd nail them all. And I, was, and I had brought up the, the thought to Dave Brandon. I said, it'd be cool if you're not going to retire number 61, because it would be a really good number to retire, at least have a sticker or something on everybody's football helmet commemorating that or something. Anyway, that year, they were, what they would do is they would have – um, for every home game that season, they would have the family of the retired football players on the field before the game, and they would dedicate that field to them. And the, and the tickets, the game season tickets, had that person on mm. each one. So we came to the University of Michigan and said, you guys ought to, uh, you really ought to do one for Willis Ward because a homecoming against Michigan State is going to be at the big house on the anniversary day of that, of that game. Oh, my God. And we were told, no, no. Brian, this was the quote. Brian, we handle that internally. We've got that. So okay, and um, so we, uh, along with um, uh, a, a young lady from Brighton, and it sits in the epilogue, saw the film and said, "How come there's nothing um, named after Willis Ward?" And so we brought her to the University of Michigan to address the Board of Regents to ask the same question. And they, of course, the Board of Regents, you know, saw the movie for the first time and went, wow, yeah, how come we're not doing anything? So I was like, really cool. And um, so we went back to the athletic department again and said, hey, we just did this thing at the Regents, you know, might be a good idea. Just kind of sneaking into this. You don't, you're not honoring anybody on this day, the homecoming game. How about Willis Ward? You guys, this is our deal. Don't worry about it. Because that University of Michigan is, you know, really pushes along great. So, um, uh, is, 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 is it Alicia Urbane? I'm going to get this wrong, and I apologize. Miss Urbane, she's really cool, the little girl. So we got her to Lansing that day and had Willis Ward Day commemorated on the day of the homecoming game, uh. and um, and gave the movie to every all of the reps in in, uh, in Lansing, and they loved it and said, "Oh, this is an amazing story. Yes, this is going to be Willis Ward Day." And it'll be fantastic. So then we called back to the Ann Arbor and said, hey, it's going to be Willis Ward Day. And not too much. So then I was on WJR and I said, it's going to be Willis Ward Day. All across Michigan is going to celebrate Willis Ward, except, except the stadium where he was benched geez. 70 years ago. Oh, <laughs> snap. Then, then a press release comes out of the University of Michigan real quick. says, we're going to honor Willis Ward that day. So yeah. that was kind of fun. So that day on, on the big scoreboard, it was Willis Ward. Um, they really, they had the chance to really do something cool. Willis Ward's niece 
was a PhD student that semester. Oh. It had been cool to have her, and we pointed that out, but we were brushed off at the time. Oh, man. But since then, um, at the Michigan Union, the the it used to be called the artists the artist room to the left as soon as you come into the Michigan Union. Mm-hmm. They changed that into uh, Willis Ward Lounge, which is really cool. Yeah, you have that in the documentary as well. Yeah, it's awesome. yeah so the, the family comes down. Yeah, that was sweet. And then they when they redid the whole Michigan Union a couple of years later, you got to see it now. It's just super awesome. This is Willis Ward Lounge. It couldn't be cooler. There was a bunch okay. of pictures of Willis yeah, Ward's the new life one. and story yeah. in, the, in the lounge that you saw yeah, in the video. Yeah, yeah. super awesome. Yeah. That's good. And, um, and that was fun. But... Um, yeah, so, you know, that was cool. And one of the other things that we thought was kind of interesting, and I, again, i got to be careful with this, because we, we had a lot of help in this film, but mm. there were a couple of times where we just ran into brick walls. Mm. And one of them, we went to the um, the Gerald Ford Library situation is the the first and last of a kind of library, and that is that the museum is in a different town than the library. The museum is in Grand Rapids, and it's yeah. amazing. The Presidential Library Papers are at uh, University of Michigan, oh. just next door to Bentley Library. Okay, And so we went up there, and, and after we're doing the movie, or during the movie, we said, hey, is there ever, was there any evidence that Willis Ward ever came to the White House when Gerald Ford was there? And they that went, was no. awesome. They yeah. said, well, they said, no, there's not. And we went, oh, that's too bad because that would have been really cool. You know? And Ford was only there for a little while, so we just keep making the movie. And the movie aired somewhere. And then I get a call from an intern and said, hey, Brian, we just found this envelope. You're, gonna, you're really going to like this. You come on down. So I drove to Ann Arbor, and it was those pictures, which I think now is the seminal part of that documentary. Uh, well, yeah. It, no. it, it's just awesome. Those two it, old, it had old to, friends yeah, it had, together. He yeah. had to make a White House visit. Oh, yeah. And, and he had to make a White and, House visit. And we visit. didn't even run narration over that. It was just so moving. And the yeah. pictures yeah. are great. And if you yeah. look at Willis Ward's pocket, he's got two cigars with him. He's yeah. ready to, he's ready I to saw go to that. Town. I was like, <laughs> they're going to go have a smoke outside. And I want to comment compliment you again on the film because you hit it's you present i mean it, it from you know watching that documentary you cut you the the stuff that you put into that you put in like you when you're when you're done watching it you're done you feel as though you've just seen every piece of of evidence in in photo and you know that in um primary source document material that is out there to be shown. Yeah. And, like, and, and you put it out there. Well, thanks. You know and, I mean? and, and that's Buddy Morehouse's writing. Buddy's an amazing writer because he's a journalist. He's a 30-year uh, writer for Gannett before he retired recently, and now he's a uh, vice president of communications up in Lansing for a, a think tank. But he wrote an amazing story, so that was an easy one for me to do because when you write that well, pulling up B-roll becomes fun because then you're looking for stuff. And I was digging up um, – uh, Willis Ward's living uh, you know, uh, cousins, uncles, and stuff, and spending time in their house, and they go, "Oh, I've got this one of Willis, you know, of his oh. first marriage, and and this is, you know, his, his first wife was in a car accident, and she was an invalid uh, before she died for Ooh. a few, uh, lived for a couple of years, and um, and so, so this kind of stuff, and, and and amazing things that happen along the line, because I thought the story was really good, and when Buddy and I are done, I mean, the film's okay. I'm a Ken Burns non-apologist. I'd like to write stuff because Burns is very much show the movie, tell sure. the story, stay out of the way, don't make whistles and bells out of it. Just Absolutely, show yeah. the pictures, tell the story, and so that's what we did. But learning about the statue um, and Statuary Hall, how mm-hmm. that got done, was yeah. amazing, and stuff that happened afterward. Oh, there's this was kind of fun, um, and you guys might know this about uh, documentary filmmaking or filmmaking, uh, filmmaking of any kind. Uh, there was another one of those questions. Asked Steve Ford. Hey, Steve, did did uh, did your dad ever talk about the Willis Ward story? Like, 
to anybody else on TV or anything. And he said no. But he called back a couple days later and said, no, no, he talked about it on the Larry King show. I was with him. Yeah, you had that yeah. interview on there, too. You had the CNN interview right. where he's talking about it on there. Here's the That's back. what I'm saying. You are the definitive. This documentary <laughs> is the definitive source of information on this story. I appreciate that. you come that, across with that very How'd you get the permission like, for that? Was so, it trouble? So, so here's how it goes. So, so we got all that stuff together. And as you guys might know, uh, that kind of stuff's expensive. Yeah. So we found out that the 20... Uh, 34 seconds maybe of that footage was very expensive, $28,000 to use the Larry King footage. Wow. And so I got a call with Steve Ford and Steve goes, Hey Brian, you know, my dad was really close with Larry King. So, you know, let me, let, let me pull some strings on that. We'll get that taken care of. Oh, and, I, and I said, great. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then like two, two days later, Steve called me back and he goes, turns out my dad and Larry King weren't that great. Oh, God. <laughs> it's now 50000 so, Right. So, <laughs> they raised the price. So, so now Buddy and I are thinking we're going to have to have a lemonade stand. Oh, God. Like, Damn it. Because you got to have that in the film, right? It's yeah. Kind of yeah. But, um, another, you, gotta have, you had to have that in the film. That, that was, was uh, the, So So another yeah. interesting ha- thing that happened, and it, I didn't bring a picture of it, but it was amazing. I was driving from, I live in Gross Point, so I was driving from Gross Point to Ann Arbor. I'm going down 14, heading toward Ann Arbor for probably just some other thing about this film. And I got a call, and I used to get a lot of these calls or emails. And so this woman called and said, hey, my grandfather was on that team. It was John Regecki. He was a punter. And I said, cool. And a lot of players were punters. Punting was a big thing back then. He was it, huge yeah, in the yeah, 30s, yeah. 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 And, he, and she said, yeah. And, and, um, and, and he was just amazing. And before he died, we had him write. We said, write a, write a history of the family. So he writes this 50-page history, and the first page was about our family, and the rest of it was all about Michigan football <laughs> and plays and everything else. And we had a conversation last about seven, eight minutes or so, and I said, well, thanks a lot for calling. I love hearing stories like this. Yeah. And she goes, yeah, yeah, was, he, we really miss him. And, oh, by the way, we have the game ball to the uh. Georgia Tech game. What? Oh my god! Right. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I'm swerving is around. Is that what this is? Yeah. That is what it is on the yeah. back of the DVD. That's so, a picture. So of I it. said, no way. And she goes, way. I got it. She goes, We've, I've had it in my kitchen for 40 years. He stole that ball. Oh, oh my, my god. god! It's on the back of the DVD. And so, and, and she said, uh, it's been sitting on a wooden stand in my, them sh- in my kitchen. Them shady punters. Yeah, you can't trust the punters. <laughs> so anyway, and, and she's taking pictures of it and sending me while I'm driving. So I'm the guy you hate. I'm driving, looking at these pictures. Oh my going, god, Oh my yeah. god, this is awesome. Oh and my she god. said, Yeah, yeah. So we've had it because it's it's kind of worn. But and she goes, I think there's signatures on the ball. And I went, Ah, I can, so now and, and this is after the movie's out again, of course, right? right, so, right show yeah, the yeah. camera. Show the camera. Yeah. So um, oh, yeah, maybe. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, yeah. The so um, viewer wants to hear too. I was excited to take a look at it. We can't deny our listeners. So I, and I've got better pictures. I'll send yeah, you guys. Yeah, on yeah. So I call her. Said, "Look, this is amazing. I, I'd like to see the ball." She said, oh yeah, that'd be great. So hung up. Said, "Thanks a lot. I'll I'll be in touch with you." Oh no, I, I said, "Look, I'm on my way to Ann Arbor. Where are you?" And I said, "I'll come over and see you." And she goes, "Well, I'm in Southern California." I said, "Nuts." So um, I called up Steve Ford and I said, "Steve, I found the game ball." And he goes, "No way." And I said, "Way." And, and he goes, "He goes, you got to go get it." And I said, well, with all due respect, if you showed up with a couple of guys in dark suits with earpieces, I imagine you can get it better than I could. <laughs> he <laughs> yeah, laughed, yeah, and he yeah. goes, I'm going to China. He goes, I'll, I'll get there in a couple of months when I come back. And I said, no way. I'm going there tomorrow. I'm getting a, I'm getting a flight out to L.A. She lived in Temecula, so it was a cool So was she willing there. to give it to you? She's- so I went there, and she was, the, she was the greatest. We laughed and had a great time. That thing looked like an old liver. And yeah, I guess I know it looks on the back. It's yeah. looking like it's But, it's but, like but I took ancient. it outside in the bright Southern California sun, and the, and the signatures, I don't know how they did it because uh, – uh, on the ball, the signatures are like carved in almost. And I, we looked, every, and I took pictures of it, got it into Photoshop, did the infrared stuff. Signatures all over it. Can't find Ward. Ah. 
can't find. Well, he wouldn't have signed it then. He wasn't at the well, game. Well, that's what we're wondering. Maybe, but maybe he would have, right? And and Gerald Ford didn't sign it. Uh, uh Yost, Maybe he did that in protest yeah, too. And Yost's name was on there somewhere. But anyway, I'm in the back. I'm in the backyard, and I've got this thing in the sun. And I, t- I told her, I said, you know, it, we'd like the Gerald Ford Museum was going to want to have this. She goes, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. And I said, and they're going to hate it that we're like on well, my greasy hands. She goes, oh, no, no. She said, when my brothers were playing football and we were little and we didn't have a football around, they grabbed that. Oh, oh my God. God. So they played with that thing. <laughs> and so I said... Um, she, I love that. I, I said, well, I, I, I said... I'm not the person to do this, but I'm just going to ask for a sort of a preliminary permission. Would you be willing to give it to the museum? And she goes, yeah, yeah let's work that out. Oh. And I said, well, let me take a picture of it and send it. And, and she, her, she was great. She goes, let's do this. She goes, at the bottom of the hill from my uh, my neighborhood here is a Dick Sporting Goods. Let's go get a ball. And then we'll take pictures of each other throwing that ball around and have it like bounce under cars and stuff yeah. and say that we were playing with it. And I, she was great. That's awesome. <laughs> anyway, but, but Steve then got a hold of her. The museum got a hold of her. And they shipped it back. And then there, we did a big premiere of the movie at the Gerald Ford School of Public Policy at the U of M. And um, Buzz Thomas was there, you know, Willis Ward's grandson, Steve Ford. And the ball came back. And, and it was all um, the museum had fixed it all up. And they they put air in it and cleaned it. Oh, and nice. it, really? So it doesn't look like that. It's, like, beautiful. And it's in this glass case now. Oh. It's just awesome. So is that the Gerald Ford Museum? It's at the Gerald Ford Museum in um, Grand Rapids. And here's another one that's kind of fun. When we were making the film... There's no mention of that thing. There's a, there's a picture of Gerald Ford in the football uniform. We did the film, and they were another one that when we told them, we were pitching the film to them, and they went, yeah. we don't see much of a story there. Uh, and we went, eh, we think there is. And uh, then when we did it, they're like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. Since then, there's been a multi-million dollar renovation of that museum, and now there's a whole section up there that's got Ward and Ford's mm. uniforms. It's awesome. you got to see it. So, they got their uniforms So how did you get yeah. permission oh. for that CNN B-roll f- uh, section? Um, uh, uh, the Ford Foundation, the... Gerald, what's it called? Uh, uh, shoot. Anyway, it's the President Gerald R. Ford Foundation. Yeah. So Foundation they underwrote that for you? Yeah. They paid, oh, they paid oh did they? Yeah. It cost 20 grand for like a, I mean, it was only like a minute or two. We, they did, did, we did a film with they Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite footage is $180, $180 a second. Second. That guy's been dead for a while. Man, <laughs> that is that is. Primo, yeah, yeah. And they couldn't cut you a little, a little discount. Like it'd be like, how about eighteen thousand five hundred or yes. something. We're doing it's, good work here. Steve's comment, Steve's comment was worth it. Though. I was Steve, laughing. No, it was amazing. It. it was, you know, you had to have it. When you, he, had, it, it had yeah. to be in the film. But when he goes, turns out my dad, and Larry King, weren't that great of friends. Like, <laughs> no, that's awesome. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> prices, prices. Going up, yeah. So uh, University of Michigan has has changed their tune a little bit. Yeah, they've been great. Celebration, yeah. And and uh, so I went to Mary Sue Coleman when we did this too, because there's an education version of this film, like there is with all of our films. What we do, because I was a a former teacher, is I write lesson plans and study guides, and then we put in on on each DVD that's there, and then we put in all of the. telegrams pictures we that we used and we didn't use the stuff that didn't make the film oh, nice. we put that all in there like bonus features yeah and we and our goal is to give it away to every middle school and high school and public library in the country and we've done michigan so far with the help of the kellogg foundation the healthy family foundation uh, a couple of people said yeah we want in um just put our name in the credits so we did that uh but um uh that that's been a boon because you hear so many people now and, and they go, I've heard that story. You know, I've seen that story. So you can, you know, pick it up at and this and that. Anyway, but I went to Mary Sue Coleman, I said, Hey Mary Sue Coleman, this is gonna be in all the schools and all the libraries. Do you wanna put and there's a part in the uh, and DVDs are old in the tooth now, but if you pop it in there, there's a place for a quote. We got a quote uh 
I think it was a quote from Georgia Tech in there. You know, this was this was a, a tough time in history. We regret it. And, you know, just a, a proper quote. Sure. And, boy, they didn't want to do it at first. And, and I don't think it was we don't want to do it. I, I don't think that's it. But they didn't take it seriously enough. And mm. then when the DVD came out, they oh, no, no, wait, wait, we got to say something about it now. We want in. You know, and boy, can you, can you put it in liner notes? My <laughs> God, it was, took, it was just kicking and screaming. Uh, so it was really nice to hear you in the episode before this talk about um, the Bentley Library having a display and everybody embracing the story now. Oh yeah, yeah. It, the, the Bentley. There's a there's a there's a whole the uh, if you go look it up online. I mean, the website. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's they got a, a it's, it's a it's like oh, yeah, an online it. exhibit. Yeah, I mean, it's a, they got tremendous photos. I and thought all they weren't they weren't particularly cre- uh, creative with the um, uh, title of their story though. They called it Black and Blue. I, yeah, the, well, there was. I think there was I, somebody. One of, Come on, I, I, and I seem to remember that there was uh, there was a, a a woman there, or maybe she was a, the curator of that exhibit there. But there's a woman there that's very interested in the story and has written a book. Oh yeah, she's great, and and we get. Oh, you know her. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. What's yeah, you, and, and they and they come up with, and she wasn't there when we were doing the film. But what we really like. And then I'm showing the film in Ann Arbor, and I'm sure we'll run into some of this. People will come up with different opinions, or that Gerald. There's one guy that just insists Gerald Ford never would have said what he said, but we don't know. The only thing I know is Willis Ward said it in the White House. He goes, you know, threatened to quit the team, and Steve Ford said his dad, you know, threatened to quit the team. So we put that in the film. But this guy's adamant that he wouldn't do it. But I like hearing stuff, new stuff, like, hey, you got this, or like the game ball, or something like that. Oh yeah. And um, uh, Adam Shakur, I, I. I moved into his office at the Ford building downtown when he was moving out, and he represented the uh, the Willis Ward family after Willis Ward passed away. And Shakur told me this. We're sitting at the, standing in line at the bank together uh, down in Griswold, and he says, hey, I, I think I've got Ward's jersey. I know I had it at some point. It's got to oh. be. And I, I know. And I go, ah. Oh, I my God. And, and then, you know, he couldn't find it. You're killing me now, I, man, because I'm a junkie for that kind oh, of yeah, stuff, Yeah, and too. I kept grabbing him. Oh, you know, um, uh the, no, finish that story. I yeah. Did you find it? No, we didn't. And I kept bugging Shakur all the time. I said, hey, you know, you got that jersey? Oh, I might have. What a, man, come on. Don't tease me like that, man. You got uh, the jersey? Where's yeah, the jersey yeah. at? But, but it's cool to get, like, there's a ticket that we got to use, um, you know, the ticket to the game. So that stuff pops up now, and it's way more expensive now after the film came out. Oh, my you God. You used to be able to pick it up on eBay for, like, 25 bucks. If you find a ticket to that game now, that, that's Well, you expensive. had a picture of it on the... On right, the, and the, it was... Yeah, uh, you had a picture of the of the game ticket. I'll tell you who's and it the, the game program for it too, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, on the, it's, uh, I mean, it's shown on the DVD. Yep. Yep. And the see. game ticket. No, you're like I say. Yeah, Greg Dooley, Greg, who's in the movie. Greg Dooley said that was his ticket, and he goes, "My ticket made the film," you know. So it's in, in oh, his yeah, program yeah. as well, which is okay. cool. What I liked about the Bentley exhibit, if you have a chance, or if anybody is you know listening to this, that's worth watching. You know, and, the, and if you're interested in the story, the black, this black and blue DVD, this documentary is an absolute must. You yeah, you can get yourself you can, a copy. Yeah, go to stunt. Um, go, you can go to stunt3.com and yeah. get it, or you can get it on Amazon. I think it's out there. Yeah, um, and so. one the the thing that I like about the uh, the website is um or the 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 Bentley exhibit is that they talk a lot about um like what just like what life was like for a black student on U of M campus at that time. Yeah, cool. They, yeah. They, she does a, they you know I think it's her. I keep saying her because I think that she the girl that wrote that book is the one that did a lot of the information on mm-hmm. the website. I think she transferred a lot yeah. of it from the book. And it's just I mean it's just really interesting. Like he was a like uh, the one part of there is called like the uh, it, there's a uh, junior honor society. It was called the Sphinx, I think it was called. Like yeah. The Sphinx. Yep. And he made and he was like a junior like honor society. He was the first black man to get mm-hmm. this um to, this national honor society. And it's like, um you know it's like it's you know it talks about what life was like on you know so it's just it's overall it's just it's. The thing, you know, overall, whatever, you know, like to say the things like there's, you know, the things that I don't understand about it, the miss, you know, like the things I just. It's a great conversation start. It is. And and it's also when and it and it's it's kind of like the city of champions story that like 
it gives you a reason to dive into an era that you that many people and, and I, maybe I'm speaking for myself did, had never really thought about looking at is you know the you know sort of like the you know a, a black man on the campus of U of M in the 1930s. It gives you a reason to dive into this and, and to learn about what the you know just mm-hmm. what the experience what you know this you know this particular story sure but you know and it tying in with that website concept which is like um like this is a guy who was who was an you know um uh who was an who was an academic as well as an athlete. He wasn't you know this isn't your sort of prototypical like athlete who's just going to U of M because he wants to play football and go to the pros or something like this. Yeah. This is a guy like, like he went and got his he law degree after yeah. Oh, yeah. he went he was there. I mean he was he was using this to he was using this experience and it, as it proved out this experience you know he became a lawyer and then a judge and then yep. like a you know a high profile individual yeah, who very, you know like very. he was using football to get his academics mm-hmm. and know? there was there was one little little point in the movie and it, it brings it back to cuz he was he was a young man i mean these are yeah. college guys they're they're young men you know i yeah. mean you think you know but they i mean these were young dudes you know and 18 19 20 years old mm-hmm. and, and 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 he said that uh, his, 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 people were saying you should quit the team and there was a, a, a group in, in Detroit that raised money to yeah, cover that, his tuition. Yeah. He quit the team and it, lost it, his tuition so right. he could finish his education. He goes, this is too much for a young man to, yeah. to, to, to and take. You know, Ward it's never, a lot to put on a yeah, young man. And Ward never held that against the university either. And, and he always wore his, if you notice, in the, he's got the M button he on, does. His, on his lapel. He does when he's in the White House. Yeah, yeah. And, and always always was a Michigan man through and through. So I think he understood the, you know, what the times were. And there's, there's been some things written about how he should have quit and, and have called him uh, an Uncle Tom for not uh, or for for not quitting and playing you know playing the rest of that year, but I don't agree with any of that. But, but this, and, but see, Joe Lewis was called that in by yeah. the, in that by the nineteen in the nineteen sixties when Muhammad mm-hmm. Ali was doing his thing, you know, was being able to do it, you know, the whole you know you know I don't need to summarize, but Muhammad Ali was doing his thing, and there was people that said, well, why didn't Joe Lewis did this do that in the nineteen thirties? Why did he kind of kind of go along with the flow and not really stand up? Got to understand the time. Yeah. Like you know, like Joe Lewis was doing what he could. do. Do. What mm-hmm. he was doing, you know, it's it's you know like the um he was doing what he could do, and it wasn't you know and in in you know it's the, it was the stepping stones along the, you know along yeah. the way and so so I put together um uh and we this may come out in another year too but it's a sequel to this story and it's called a race in time the Willis Ward story huh. because what happens with Willis Ward as you'd pointed out after this is really quite striking um, when Henry Ford hires him to work at the Rouge plant he yeah. hires him because there's a lot of African American workers working at the Rouge Henry Ford paid him the same as he paid white workers which drove the white workers from the south crazy mm-hmm. but Henry Ford is one of the first truly integrated uh, probably the first truly integrated uh, large corporations in America. So he hires Ward to work at the Rouge, and we've, we cover this a little bit in the movie, but there's some things that Ward ends up doing that is just great. Um, so he works there, and, and actually the, we've got uh, B-roll pictures of Willis Ward on placards where the workers are upset with him because they're getting ready to strike, and they say Ward needs to do this or that, which is kind of interesting for an African-American guy. We, we surmise that Af- that Willis Ward was probably the highest-ranking African-American executive in the country at the time. Mm. But when he's working at the Rouge and he goes off to World War II, he hires uh, Jesse Owens, who's down in his luck. Jesse Owens, after the Olympics, um, had a lot of awful things happen to him. By, a lot by, like Eddie Tolan. Yeah, well, Eddie, yeah. Eddie Tolan couldn't find a job. Well, Jesse Owens was uh, a little bit higher profile at the time. Sure, so, a bit much higher, absolutely. But, yeah. Well, he was hired at uh, state fairs and things to run exhibitions against horses. Yeah. Jeez. And, uh, yeah. and when there was a reception 
Uh, Eddie Tolan was running backwards in Wadville. I can run fast backwards. Well, no, that's that Bill that Bill Robinson that was doing that with with Eddie Tolan. He was doing the Wadville because Bill Robinson had to set a record. Same sort of thing. So he's running against horses. Yeah. So he's doing. Yeah. And Willis said. So so Willis Ward hires him to to you know gives him a decent job at the Rouge. And then when Willis Ward goes to World War II, he said, you know, Jesse Owens needs to take my spot. Oh, nice. You know, and and have a good spot in there. But there's some stories that come out of that stuff when. When Jesse Owens comes back, there's a big reception for him at the Waldorf Astoria. And it's a big party, and you know, because it's, it's a great, great deal, although uh, FDR didn't recognize any of it. That's another story. But um, Jesse Owens goes to the Waldorf for this big reception and uh, gets in an elevator, and the, the women who are going up there to that reception do not want to let, do not want to ride with jesse owens in the elevator so jesse owens, going to the jesse owens party jesse owens had oh to take God. had to take the freight elevator with the food and the food guys up to his own reception oh my god because the black people were not allowed in new york city at the time to ride the elevator with white folks but see again this willis ward story <laughs> this is after the olympics but again see this willis ward story mm-hmm. it's like it's like and i say it's similar to like the city of champions thing because it's a beacon that draws attention towards this era yeah. that once you start to dive into it, the story is expansive. And oh, it, it gives it, you a it, reason it, why. Look, like, like we're not, we wouldn't be coming in here to do a show about Jesse Owens' ride up in the elevator for that particular thing. It's, mm-hmm. it, you, know, it's, you, know, you see, it's, it's interesting. I mean, but that's a component of the overall universe that sort of radiates around this around this story. Yeah. I'm saying like that's one of the, the to me that's one of the, you know you know one of the one of the one of the great things about these type of stories yeah, that and it draws fun, you yeah. into this yep. world for a moment and say there's a lot of stuff going on but let us have your attention for a moment and let's tell you a story about something that you didn't know and about a world you know and, yeah, but and what, people become intrigued. Right. I was intrigued. So that that one's coming out. What's the this black and blue is this mm-hmm. one that's going to be called uh th- that one the, the, the sequel the sequel to this one is to be called A Race A Race in Time. A Race Willis, in the, Time. The Willis Ward story, but that's a couple of years off. Cuz Brian, you do you've done several films. Mm-hmm. Uh how many films have you done? Uh, 11. 11 films? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, and you've done other shorts and things too. Yeah. Uh, we have one here. I'm a, a half Irish, half Polish, so there I'm a Polish boy. Hamtramck, you're talking my language there. It's the leg- legend of Pinky. Da- how do you say that? The legend of Pinky Darris. Darris, Pinky Darris. Of, of Art Darris, the greatest Little League player there ever was. Coming out of Hamtramck. Yep. So that's amazing, and that's and, out already. And, yep. and then you got uh, you have uh, there's there's something like a uh, uh, death row baseball. Uh, the, the, wait, what now? Is there? Was that you? I was guess that, that's not. He doesn't have that, that one. That, I guess he doesn't it. have that one, Jamie. That, that wasn't yours. I do have a film out though, and I'll come back and talk to you guys. There's about like, that. There, oh my god, there, there's no. two of them. One is called The Girl in Center Field. And that was our first film, and that's this is the 50th anniversary of the event. In 1973, Carolyn King from Ypsilanti, Michigan, decided to play little league baseball when girls at the time were not allowed to play little oh. league baseball, and it was uh, during the time of Billie Jean King and. Um, and Bobby Riggs. It was uh, mm-hmm. right after Title IX. She did that, and it became a national story that reverberated everywhere. So that at the end of that summer, Little League was forced to include girls in Little League baseball. And since then, over 7 million girls have played Little League. Really? Um, so that movie is out, too. It's called The Girl in Center Field. But we're uh, working on a director's cut for the 50th anniversary, because that happened in 1973, and this is 2023. So that's out there, too. Um, I also did... an. Uh, 
an impromptu documentary that really went over really well, and I've got a copy of it here, and it's called um, Baseball Diplomacy. That's not what the cover says. This is first. In 2017, I took my tra- I yeah, I took my travel baseball team of 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds down to Havana. Um, and we were the first team from Michigan to play baseball against Cuban baseball players since the revolution. Wow. And uh, that documentary covers everything that happened during that and what that was like and how much fun we had and how goofy it was all at the same How'd time. How'd you get to Cuba? Um, we just... Oh, it was... When, when, what year was it? Uh, 2017. So... so it, yeah. Okay, so... Yep. Okay, I get you. Cause... So Trump Trump was new, but Trump... <laughs> but Obama opened it up to Cuban baseball. He did. Yeah. And, and Trump was just as excited about it. Trust oh, me. Really? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Everybody down there knew that Trump wanted to uh, build a Trump Tower on the Malacan. In Cuba? Uh, Cuba <laughs> really? Until Marco Rubio said, if you want to win Florida... Don't do that. Really? <laughs> and, and in fact, yeah. roll back everything that's happened that Obama did because yeah. there's a lot of expats here in Florida. That, yeah, because I thought he Trump sh- shut down a lot of the Cuba stuff that Obama Trump, had done. Trump yeah. really wanted a hotel. On really, <laughs> man. But see, I, I I've got this weird thing where like I see those Godfather like. You know, like seeing Cuba, like back when they had the Meyer Lansky, yeah, yeah, when everything yep. was like that, where Cuba was like a Las Vegas. I, yeah. I like kind of want to see that, man. I like, I would <laughs> like to go to Cuba instead of Vegas, is like a, yeah, yeah. Is, is like a. I don't know. That's just. I plus. I you know. Maybe it's that you're. It's a place that I. You're kind of like not allowed to go or whatever. The taboo. Everybody. Like the, everybody in the world except us goes. If you want to. I know. Yeah, but you if you want to go, Canada. Fly, you gotta go to fly Canada. from Toronto. The the weekend parties in Cuba are astonishingly I know. It, it's great. It's like. But I, so it's almost like a guilty pleasure. Like I'm like I'm like man. I'd like to go to Cuba. Right. Sometime. So watch that movie and you'll see what a great time you can have. Yeah. In, in a wholesome way. Yep. I like how your stories you got are from Michigan, though. You got all these like great yeah. stories from yep. Michigan. You can, I think that's can, awesome. I, man. I, I used to tell people you can throw a baseball in any direction in Michigan and land twelve more stories that I could finish yeah. at a time. No, the, I like that. Though. One of the things that Buddy and I are working on that's going to be of interest to you guys is something uh, that happened in 1957. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings, who were in the middle of their uh, Stanley Cup. Let me run. guess. Let me guess before you finish the statement. Sure. They went to that prison and played. That's right. Yes, I that's got right. it. I yeah. guessed it. I knew it because that's a great story that's yep. never been covered. Yeah. So they, they go went up. to a prison. Go ahead. Go well, ahead. Go here, ahead. Here, here's it. what they do. They're down at the DAC. Jack Adams is talking to. That's our guy. We love Jack. He's yeah. a little older yeah. Jack, but yeah, go ahead. So, so Jack Adams is talking to the the warden um, down at the DAC, or the warden of the uh, Marquette prison. And he says, hey, we got a hockey team up there. They're not particularly great. A lot of them are the Purple Gang guys. They had to learn how to play hockey. But we got a rank. You know, why don't you bring your boys up and play? And Jack Adams goes, I'm not going to do that. And he goes, no, really. And Jack Adams uh, played a hunch and said, all right, you get us a plane. You get us our own you know, private plane, and I'll bring the guys up. And that was, and it, what was it? It was in Sault Ste. Marie, wasn't it? No, it was in Marquette. Oh, Marquette, oh, Marquette, Marquette. Yeah. Marquette. Sorry, so, yeah. so the warden goes back up, talks to his lumber pals, and about eight seconds they get the money together ah. to, get it, to get a DC-9, <laughs> call, yeah. call Jack ah. Adams up. And in the middle of that season, think about this happening yes, now. In the Stanley middle of the season, Cup, this is the best team in the world. He puts them all on a plane, gets them up. Up there, so this movie's called uh, uh, Pros and Cons. That's going to be. And it's going to be. Out. What a great title! Yeah, what yeah. a great title! Uh, and, it, and it's all about that secret game. I, and I cut played. you off. When, when is it going to be out? What did you say? Probably this time next year, or actually, uh, man, I got to see this that. time in the fall next year. We lost Ted Lindsay though, and Ted Lindsay was the last remaining player in that game. I uh, met Ted Lindsay. Yeah, I met Ted Lindsay up on Mackinac Island. It's a great. This is, I think, a great story. Uh, we I was a. Di- I was in my in my uh, young twenties. I was a dock porter on Mackinac Island, mm-hmm. and I was on the Arnold dock. And I come walking up, and there's this group of other porters talking to this, you know, old guy. And we and I walk up, and I'm like, "Holy crap, dude! It's Ted Lindsay, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, like I, you know, I, I knew who he was, you know. And, and anyways, so we're just listening. To, he's waiting for a boat to leave to leave, you know, get off Mackinac Island, and 
and the boat comes up and he gets on the boat and you know we're just listening just random chatter it wasn't of anything monumental but it, but the greatest thing was when he walked away we're all in our young 20s we're all a bunch of tough like you know muscled up yeah, you know, yeah. young college young punks you know and this guy <laughs> this guy this one guy in the group there's like maybe six of us he goes he goes I don't care how old that guy is man he'd kick any one of yeah, our asses <laughs> he would kick any one of our asses right now dude he's like that guy I'm like no I go no crap dude if that I was a visitation at that funeral home yeah. walking past his casket I'd be scared he, yeah. that, that an arm would come up and yeah get me, so. he, and he was kind of you know, he was short and looking at you like you're just like man this Tough guy man. this guy i go that guy goes i don't care how old that guy is that guy can't i can't tell you that i can't tell you the amount of films we've done where buddy and i've looked at each other and go man we should have done this two years ago or three because that guy was still alive we, yeah. and, and you just got to do stuff because uh and, and i'm big on this now folks that walk by older people and i mean real senior citizens and you don't it, don't not only not treat them with respect, but kind of like you know, guys in my way. Those guys and women are just gold mines of information yeah. for stuff like this. Yeah. And when you lose them, it's gone. Yeah. yeah. In, in that movie, that's a you know, spoiler alert a little bit. When you know that game, they were playing for a for a, a, a water bu- for a water bucket for like a like a, a it was, pail. It was, of, it was it was a urine a bucket. urinal a yeah, urine bucket. Yeah. yeah. But in there, and it's like and I don't want to I don't want to give anything away with it. But it's, oh, no, it's, but there's it's cool. but there's like the picture with Jack Adams. Like I'm not trying to spoil it. Who won the game? <laughs> like but but there's a thing where Jack Adams with the wings and won, and Jack Adams has got this water bucket and he's holding it up in the air and he's so excited about it <laughs> and he's like, look at we won, you yeah, know, like uh, and the Red Wings are behind him, like yeah, like we well, won. They, and they destroyed they, that team. Well, what they yeah. did, <laughs> what they did is is uh, when they took the ice, they gave. The prisoners, Terry Sawchuck. They said, "Look, we're, we're oh, gonna, that's right, because, yeah, that's because right." Because they yeah, were going to yeah, tear yeah. up yeah. their goalie, and it was still after the first period it was twelve nothing, and Terry Sawchuck was pissed. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so then they, then they just mixed up teams. So Howe and a couple and a couple of guys yeah. went and played for the prisoners, and it's just really cool. The um, the limitations of that story is what we call in the business B roll. There's just not a lot of it because right. it was in a prison. It was really done undercover because Jack Adams didn't want to be. Guess what we're doing tonight? He just said, "Damn it!" I mean, yeah, it was bet. totally like yeah. spontaneous go type of thing, yeah, right? Yeah. But it's yeah. a cool story. But the, but that bucket yeah. when he's holding that bucket up, there's a great picture of it. I mean, it's available on the online and all uh-huh. that. And he's in that. But the picture is like he. It's like he's holding this water bucket up. Like it's you know like it's uh like it's the Stanley Cup like he's super uh, excited yeah, like look what we won like he's <laughs> totally in the moment that's a great story dude you uh when you come out I mean if I would love to have you back on here oh, great. when, you, when yeah. you put that movie out you know we can I mean, what, yep. if we can hype it in any way and if you know just to talk about sure. it with you. All right. sure one one more Bobby Arvin. Yeah, that, um, that, what's, uh, that one's called Bob Arvin. So it's called Where the Brave Dare to Tread. Yeah. And it's the first, uh, not first, but it's a non-sports movie, although he was an All-State uh, wrestler. And then we went to West Point. He became a champion wrestler as well. But uh, he was uh, um, just a, an amazing story about an amazing guy that you just don't get anymore. He was killed in Vietnam in 1967, mm. but he was uh, the first cadet at West Point, you know, which is a top guy. And that film talks about his life in Ypsilanti and then when he goes to West Point and it's the astonishing story it's sad but what happens afterwards and the scholarships and stuff but it's it's pretty cool and I did that more as a gift to that family and the city of Ypsilanti really just a, just a thought I had in my head and I'd want yeah. I, I maybe it's better for after the show but I, I don't want to forget to ask you have you have you ever thought about um like looking up like because you're talking about PBS but have you thought about reaching out to Tubi 
Have you ever heard of Tubi? The channel yeah. Tubi? Yeah. I, that's like one of my favorite channels, man. It's got yep. some of the greatest documentaries yep. ever, and I think that they would eat this up. They would. We, we get a lot of offers. In fact, The Legend of Pinky Darius played uh, several times on MLB Network. Oh, okay. But it's the kind of thing where, it, 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 you know, what do you do? They go, hey, you know, we'll show your film on national TV. Great. Well, how, what are you going to pay for it? No, no, we're just going to show it on national TV, and you go, oh, all right. But, yeah. I wonder, but I wonder, but but Tubi, but I'm telling you, Tubi. I don't know if you, do you ever watch Tubi at all. Yeah. Do we, oh, you do. Okay, good. Yeah. So you're familiar yeah. with it. Yeah. I watch Tubi all the time. Yeah, and I love it. It's got some great documentaries. Well, they cut me a check for a quarter. Yeah, million yeah, that I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah. know when, that. When, yeah, <laughs> when, I don't, when, I don't, when MLB plays it, you're not getting that Cronkite or Larry they're, King money. I don't know that. I guess maybe I was. I was, ask, I was asking but, it. As but a, MLB's yeah. getting uh, uh, advertising money during the spots. Going, yeah. hey, our, our and, and what they told me last time, they said, man, our viewership really spiked that Sunday afternoon. Oh, we great. showed your film. Great, good for you. Thanks. Well, if you well if you do reach out to Tubi or whatever, let me know, and we'll. You know, I mean, if you do reach out to Tubi and they. And you maybe did something mm-hmm. with them. Let me know because, like, if if we can do anything to uh, to tell the listeners where you know, like, you know, hey, it's yeah. on Tubi, go check it out. Or well, whatever, on you two know? of our like, films, Black and Blue and um, The Girl in Center Field, there are screenplay adaptations that are uh, being shopped around. And The Girl in Center Field had interest from Sony, to, had from Sony and from Disney uh, early on, and uh, that pops up every now and then. And in the movie business, if you guys know something about feature films, I don't, but I learned a little bit about this. Something can sit on a shelf for a long time until somebody comes up. And in the, in the case of The Girl in Center Field, they say as soon as some blonde comes up who's 10 and whose agent said, yeah, this Disney TV stuff is great, but do you got any movies for her? It, and then, oh, wait, and they blow the dust off the script. We got yeah. something here. You know, here why don't I've you heard do that before, yeah. 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 So, so you can sit on them for a while, and then all of a sudden, you know, we'll give you a million dollars for the script, a million dollars for this. Yeah. Yeah. So I keep waiting for that one. Yeah. No, right. that's the, but yeah, I would, I would, man, I would, I, like I say, I watch. I, 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 there's Tubi has got some incredible documentaries. I think that they would be interested. Yep. We all yeah. like watching documentaries. Yeah. Nobody really wants to pay for pay them. for that's them. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I just, trust me, man. I, lo- I, I hear you because I got these these City of Champions books, and that's the thing people yep. love to hear about yeah, it. But yeah, it's right. like, yeah. hey, man, give these books a read, and they're like, no, I'm buying it as a gift. Like yeah. I had a guy one time tell me about the book. He goes. He goes, hey man, I got your book. I got those books, and I was like, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, he goes, I still got them all in the original packaging. I haven't even opened it. I'm yeah. keeping them mint condition. I go, read them. I go, yeah, I appreciate. <laughs> I, 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 I'm glad you look at them as a collector's item. That makes me, you know, feel somewhat good. But I actually wrote them so that people would read them. You know, like, oh, that's and he's funny. like, that's funny. And he's like, oh well, you know, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll crack it yep. open. Yeah, Like I said, we show these uh, around a lot. I think I'm going to be in Ann Arbor at the Ann Arbor Public Library showing Black and Blue in nice. a couple of weeks, and it's so cool to run into people who can add to the story. So yeah, we all like right. that. Or they, so Brian. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Brian Kruger, it's uh, Stunt3, S-T-U-N-T, the number 3.com, and you can get uh, all, all of his Every, documentaries every, there. Everything's out and there. I, and listen, all the and for streaming listen, as well, you can stream everything. Listen, I know yeah. we kind of went through these movies. We you know, we, we you know talked about these mm-hmm. things, but I'm, but I'm saying like to the listeners, to the viewers at home, go check out this website and take a closer look at some of these things. It'll be Look at these stories. The, uh, yeah. These uh, th- these are some stuff you want to see. You want to see black and blue. You want to see. I, I want to see this Pinky Dares. Yeah, movie. you're really gonna like that. That's this, cool. If you and, get and, just it's this. And, we, yeah. I think we browse. We might that do a showing quick. at Whiskey in the Jar. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> these are. I mean, you got like these are Michigan themed great sports stories. Go check these things out. You know, go support our new friend Brian and um, and uh, there. Yeah, go ch- go check out his website. I really appreciate it, guys. Thanks All a lot right. for having me on. No, our right. pleasure, man. It was a great conversation. I didn't like I say we. Uh, it was, it was nice. It was your. I'll say it for the third time. This you know you present the definitive you know uh, information on this. The movie is just chock full of 
um, of the primary source documents of the um, you've got the CNN interview. You've got all the, I mean, it's you find yourself like at the end, you're like, and then he appeared on CNN and you're like, oh, God, for the love of God, show the CNN video. And yeah, then there yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. And like and then he, you know, he, and then, you know, and then he found himself, you know, like and then he, you know, he made a tour to his old friend, Gerald, because you're when he when, when Ford makes it to the White House, you're going, please, God, let Willis Ward get to the White House. <laughs> I and then there one, he is. I, I have know? one more request on your oh. show because you guys have uh, a nice uh, audience. And um, for the last 10 years or so, uh, I've been taking care of Willis Ward's grave. And um, mm. and, it, and it, people don't really take care of it. It's not anything other than you just kind of forget about it. It's it's a flat ground gravestone mm. out on 14 Mile and Ryan. Oh. And, um, or is it 13 Mile and Ryan? Um, it's a historic black uh, cemetery out there. And if, if, you, if, we, if I don't go and trim it, Twice a year, once in the spring, once in the fall, it gets grown over and it gets lost. And, right. and, and, and if, if people want to get a hold of me through the link, stunt3.com, I'm looking for a couple of people to help just in case something happens to me along the line. I want to be able to have younger people come out with a weed whip twice a year and make sure it gets. We had a wonderful guy, an old friend, um, Roger Throne, and who lives in Augusta, Georgia, and he called them up and had them raise the tombstone up a little bit because it's flat, but it still gets grown over. Mm. So it's kind of cool, and it's 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 an act of love. I always go out there and take a picture of put a little Michigan flag and a football and take a picture of it every year. But it needs to be weed whipped so it doesn't get lost to time because it'll just get sunk in it. Yeah. And so if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'll, a, I'll tell you exactly abs- where it is. Absolutely. And another yep. in, a, in a suggestion too, with re- in that along those lines, is uh, have you ever taught the uh, Hamtramck uh, grounds crew? Have you? Have have you talked to them at all? Yeah, in fact, we had the uh, the road. If you go to Hamtramck, back to the little road, it's Dan Street that goes back to the uh, Negro Field um, baseball field that just mm-hmm. got renovated. That is called Pinky Darris Boulevard. We had that oh, name, okay. name after. Oh, cool. yeah. Cool, yeah. Love no, those are great guys. Pinky Darris I, mean, yeah, I met those guys when they were the Navenfield Grounds crew. Oh, cool. When they were doing the Tiger State. We played softball out there awesome. one year. Yeah, yeah. But, but now they're the, yeah. So oh, like, and they're going to name the Little League field that's in center field of that same complex. That's going to be uh, Pinky Darris Field. Really? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And they're doing some great work out there on that mm-hmm. field, man, the Hamtramck group. But I think, uh, I, you know, maybe they could help, you know, lend, you know, lend into that. Because if that group keeps on, you know, going over on over the years, that might be a nice little legacy that sure. they also take part That'd in. That'd be cool. Yeah. But guys, I really appreciate oh. the time here. Our Thank pleasure, you. man. Brian we Kruger, really we will do it again. Out, man. This is an interesting conversation. It's, yeah, and, uh, Detroit, and the city of champions. You just cut me off? I'm cutting you off. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, it's <laughs> you, buddy. <laughs>